Welcome to AO On Air. This is a podcast from ActiveOps, allowing us to present you topics ranging from operations management, leadership, technology, and new innovations. Check out all our episodes on YouTube channel AOTV or with your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple or Spotify. Now let's begin. Hello and welcome to AO On Air. My name is Michael Cups. I'll be your host today. And we've got an exciting guest, someone that, that I was able to meet in London in October because she was the keynote speaker at our Capacity 22 uh, event. And she did a wonderful job there. So I rushed to find her and ask her if she would participate in our, uh, in our podcast. And she grace, gracefully said yes. So it's Dr. Mona Ashok, who is with the University of Reading. I'll let her introduce herself. But today's topic is going to be artificial intelligence or AI. We're going to talk about the risks, the opportunities, the challenges, the misperceptions, et cetera, uh, as it relates to operations and financial services. So welcome very much. Good to see you again. Thank you, Michael, and uh, really honored to be on your podcast. Um, A brief introduction about myself. I come from the industry. I spent about 20 years as a chartered accountant and then working for two global IT services firms. I've worked all the way from the east coast of the globe, from Asia, from Japan, Australia, spent uh, a lot of time in India where I grew up, uh, then in the UK and uh, North America uh, where I was specifically based in the US. A lot of my uh, academic career has built upon what I've, I've done in my professional career. I am an associate professor of uh, digital transformation, so it builds on my uh, industry experience in the IT services industry. And I'm I'm really passionate about the role that digital technology and transformation plays in enabling change. So uh, for me, digital technologies should not be the end goal, but it should be a mechanism for organizations to go from A to B and hopefully in the process, improve efficiencies, improve uh, the uh, bottom line of the organizations and should allow the employees, the partners, the key stakeholders to focus on what is really, really important for the organization to exist. So that's me in a nutshell. Very good. Well, it's it's nice for our audience to meet you, and it's good to hear that. And I and I digital transformation. You you, just, you don't open up a, a a magazine about banking or tech or insurance or any of that without seeing digital transformation being all over the the topic. So yeah. it's, so you're in a you're in a very uh, hot space there. So uh, well, let's start maybe. Uh, let's talk about a couple of useful applications. I thought the the presentation you mentioned at uh, in London, you've mentioned public sector and sports were two examples you used. Since everybody participates in, we're, we're all part of the public and, and some yeah. of us like sports, especially when a World Cup is ongoing. Yeah. Uh, maybe could you give us a few examples of AI and practical use in those areas? Yeah. So um, if you take sports uh, and, and you mentioned the World Cup, uh, you know, we haven't seen a single match at the World Cup without VAR technology uh either, uh, you know, confirming uh, the referee's decision or enabling the referee to take a decision or to over, uh, you know, rule the decision originally taken by the referee. 
Now, um, you know, it plays a fundamental role in the way uh, the sports industry works. Uh, just before the uh, Football World Cup was the T20 uh, Cricket World Cup. As I said, I've come from India and, uh, you know, uh, it's a religion uh, in in, in uh, uh, Indian families. So uh, so you can imagine, uh, you know, sitting in, in front of uh, the television and everybody arguing about, you know, uh, you know, was it hitting the stumps? Uh, you know, was it a six? What is it for? So. Uh, the, the entire industry is transformed since the first use of um, artificial intelligence uh, in Gary Kasparov's uh, match against IBM's Deep Blue 1996. Uh, and since then, the uh, sports industry and the, uh, you know, the market share of sports industry has has astronomically uh, grown in size, be it Ivy League um universities in the US who are spending, uh, you know, astounding amount of uh, money and funds to ensure that uh, they are able to support their sporting elites, uh, maximize their capacity. And, and that, uh, you know, uh, shows that this is playing a fundamental role in, in transforming uh, what used to be a more active uh, part of human life. It's now, uh, you know, engrossed within uh, technology that that is all around uh, the industry. Now, if we look at public sector, and uh, I've done a lot of uh, research with my co-authors recently around um, the application of uh, AI technology within uh, um, government sector. Uh, we have looked at uh, the uh, application and adoption and diffusion of AI, specifically uh, right now with my PhD student in Canadian uh, public sector. And um, uh, through the recent literature review papers uh, and the case studies that we have synthesized and the primary data that we collected from Canada, we are increasingly seeing that uh, organizations within public sector are acknowledging that uh, there is more and more acceptance of certain type of digital technologies, uh, be it chatbots, be it natural language processing, which is enabling them to streamline some of their customer facing um, offerings and services. And uh, it uh, frees up uh, staff time and effort to deal with some of the more complex issues uh, that can't be dealt uh, specifically by AI or machines. Uh, so th that uh, I see as an increasing focus within public sector as well as uh, private sector. And, and some case examples, and I, I know when I did the research and the keynote speech um, at ActiveOps, uh, interesting case studies from across the globe, be it Azerbaijan, uh, you know, introducing uh, digital signature, wherein every citizen uh, is uh, linked up through the artificial intelligence by, provided by the government. And that digital signature then allows them to do several services or be it in Korea, wherein they provide, uh, you know, jobs uh, and adverts, et cetera, matching your profile using artificial intelligence. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, governments around the world are using artificial intelligence when uh, you apply for a passport, your photograph is screened based on algorithms, et cetera. Uh, and that has freed up time that used to, uh, you know, take an individual to look at a photograph, accept it, reject it, and used to, you know, we, we did that in the pre-pandemic uh, period using uh, manual uh, submission of actual uh, documents. Now it can be done online. It's reduced the time that it takes uh, to process applications. 
Um, and therefore, you know, uh, we, we are seeing this across the globe uh, that adoption of uh, artificial intelligence has increased. Uh, but in the public sector, as I said, there is uh, a tendency to um, accept some parts of uh, the advanced uh, data analytics uh, toolkit rather than all of them. But that is a promising sign. Yeah, excellent. And I, and I want to get back to the uh, the sports analogy a little bit later in a question uh, that I want to ask. But the, the, the latter stuff you were talking about, uh, you know, recognition of documents and people and things like that, those probably have applications. And my next question, which is most of our listeners and, and people that tune into this podcast are working in financial services, whether they be large banks, insurance companies, et cetera. Uh, so obviously, you, you presented a, a couple of slides that caught my interest. You had one that was called back office, middle office, and yeah. front office, and you had some application areas. And I couldn't ask you to go through all of those, but just if, if you think about financial services, where where is AI making the most impact? And what do you any any yeah. thoughts or comments there? So uh, I'm just going to refer my notes just for uh, the numbers because okay. I don't want to get them wrong, uh, but. Um, the uh, uh, both the OECD research and the Business Insider re uh, Intelligence uh, Research uh, 2021 and 2022 respectively showed that uh, the banking financial services industry definitely was adopting artificial intelligence across uh, the board. So be it back office, middle office and uh, the front office. Bulk of the investment so far in the industry has gone into the middle office wherein the most advanced uh, uh, application has been in risk and uh, risk management and anti-fraud. So that's where uh, we've seen the most amount of uh, investment, the most maturity in terms of the middle office. That is then followed by the front office, which is customer facing and uh, the conversational banking, uh, which could be chatbots, uh, natural language processing, etc. As I said, is also used in public sector a lot. Uh, uh, we see uh, increased um, use and adoption of that in uh, the banking uh, financial institutions. Uh, the least amount of uh, investment has happened in the back office, wherein um, the credit underwriting has been most mature, but what has been lagging is uh, providing smart contracts. Mm -hmm. So uh, trying to customize what you provide to the uh, customers uh, has been the least amount of um, investment and maturity in terms of the uh, banking industry. Uh, uh, in terms of other numbers uh, or, you know, other uh, areas that, that we found um, similar research in, uh, you know, I also cited a Barclays hedge fund um, uh, research 2018, and I found uh, something really startling there. Uh, only 27% of the uh, respondents to the survey conducted by Barclays said that they used artificial intelligence to make trading related decisions. So what we are seeing from that research is that um, AI is not taking over uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the work from the core traders. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it's enabling them to take a decision, but it's not overtaking uh, these traders, uh, you know, basic uh, interaction with, uh, you know, taking these key critical decisions. But what we did find is that, um, Seven, uh, I'm just looking out. Two thirds of the respondents said that they actually used artificial intelligence to generate new ideas. So uh, it's very interesting that they're using uh, 
artificial intelligence as a launch pad for innovation. And they are able to then, and 58% said that they use it to create portfolios, to create offerings, which then they are selling to their current and new customers. And that is an interesting find that they're actually using artificial intelligence, not for mundane and ongoing work, but as a launch pad for uh, something new. So if, does that answer your question, Michael? It sure, it sure does, and it gives us a wide perspective of where it's going. The, the interesting thing for for ActiveOps and our and our customer base, as you know, is is we tend to work in the back office operational side, yeah. and and like you said, they're they're kind of I don't want to call them laggards, but they're slower adopting AI and those. Uh, where our first foray, and I think you've you've probably been briefed on it, or even helped us with some of the the thoughts around it, is forecasting and planning, which is yeah. you know making sure you have the right amount of people for the right amount of work at the yeah. right time and things like that. Is that is that do you see that? Are we out there at the forefront, or is that an, a common use case? No, I think that's uh, and you know it's it's more on the forefront of the industry. Uh, what uh, and and uh, again for your uh, listeners who don't probably know that, but um, the Henley Business School where I'm based at has a knowledge transfer partnership uh, with ActiveOps, wherein we have uh, Innovate UK government funding, UKRI funding to uh, work on a project which uh, basically uses machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, enables us to use the data that ActiveOps has, uh, you know, obviously working with its customers to enable us to run several projects. One of the projects that uh, we are looking at is, uh, you know, productivity, utilization, optimum team sizes. Uh, We are also looking at the employees who are uh, leaving uh, their uh, organizations and what factors might uh, lead to that, uh, you know, and an employee leave, etc. So uh, this is definitely at the forefront uh, of the uh, industry because you are not just looking at uh, the mundane tasks of, uh, you know, whether a transaction should be accepted or rejected or, uh, you know, uh, trying to track fraud, the risk management, etc. You are now going to the next step, which is uh, trying to help organizations optimize how they are um what is the right word? How they are, uh, how they plan their teams. Yeah. How do they plan their skill profiles? How do they assign, uh, how much time should be assigned to specific tasks based on the, uh, individual's, uh, skills at the entry level, how long they've been doing it, et cetera. And that then allows the organization to identify a good mix of team senior colleagues, more experienced, more mature uh, individuals who bring in uh, a lot of experience with uh, probably members who are, uh, you know, recently trained, recently out of universities who bring in slightly different skills. So you are now able to then bring them together and identify what is the right mix. And depending on the task that that team performs, then they are able to, uh, you know, come up with what works optimally. You're able to then um, help, uh, you know, data help uh, make decisions around, we need to spend time on training, we need to spend time on, uh, you know, uh, enabling uh, individuals take time off, because that's an, a critical part of uh, individuals being able to recharge their batteries, etc. So uh, that is an increasing area of value add because uh, your customers are now able to take decisions based on how they are um, 
you know, how they have grouped uh, their individual themes, what is their, their vision and, and how that then allows them to change their strategy towards uh, team building, etc. That's awesome. And thank, thank you for clarifying that. that. That laid it out very, very directly, I think, that the, uh, the direction that's headed and, and the benefits to the customers, too. The, uh, so we, you were talking about employee engagement there but with you know, identifying burnout factors and things like that. But yeah. it's interesting because even I was flying home from Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, and in the airport I was reading, just scanning news sites. And, and there's still, in, at least in the U.S., I don't know about U.K., where AI is going to take your job, right, is the kind of the – the, the journalist myth, if you will, but but in fact, it's really about in, it, it's engaging the employees and, and assisting the employees. Like just your your sports example, I wanted to get back to that. They're not replacing the umpires; it's just helping them do their job better, right? Yeah, and and I think um, uh, and I'll give uh, the answer in 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 two buckets. The first bucket is a 2018 research which uh, spoke to um, Russian bank executive and. Uh, he said that as soon as they implemented artificial intelligence, two quote, two thirds of their employees were made redundant, uh, and they were basically middle uh, management and uh, lower management level. Now, uh, and and I I think uh, you know that kind of uh, rings uh, bell uh, across uh, the globe as well as different industries that uh, you know people are going to lose their job. What is the other side of the coin or the second half of my argument is um, an open text research uh, which looked at uh, how exactly AI benefits or will benefit the banking and financial uh, sector uh, and, and amongst their top five or six uh, benefits. The last one is staff retention. Although it is 20% of the uh, respondents said that staff retention would be the potential benefit and about 70 or 75% said that it would be fraud management, risk management, etc. were much higher uh, in terms of potential benefits as compared to staff retention. But it is interesting that, uh, that uh, within the industry, there is an acceptance that uh, artificial intelligence will enable organizations to uh, retain their uh, you know their 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 key resource which is uh, their employees the implementation of ai uh, is not fundamentally to lay off staff it is to enable data driven decisions it is to enable take away the mundane tasks from human beings and to use artificial intelligence and machines to do those tasks to free up the time available to uh, employees. Now, if I give an example uh, from uh, academia and you know we all have to do some uh, administrative roles, some of them are really, really mundane. And when we look at the number of uh, students we have and uh, the number of requests that we get, uh, which are rather mundane and could be easily trained into an artificial intelligence, uh, could save a lot of time. And uh, that, uh, you know, we could train the uh, algorithm to process uh, what probably would be about 95, 98 percent of uh, the mundane cases that that can be easily, you know, they can look at the evidence. Uh, does it cover uh, two or three types of evidence that we have to support, for example, um, a very short extension to submission uh, of, uh, you know, an essay or an assignment? Um, and that could be easily done. And, and anything that doesn't fit uh, within the algorithm, that those special cases can then be sent back for an individual to look at. 
So that that would be uh, what I say is a better use of uh, of our time, wherein we can train the system to take certain uh, you know uh, certain decisions based on parameters that we have set up. Yep. That does not mean that I am redundant. It means that I'm now available to do tasks which are more important to my end customer, which is spend more time with my students, do more research, engage with the industry, etc. So uh, I think that uh, approach taken both by employees and organizations will help. However, you know, this doesn't come automatically. So, you know, it's easy to say, yes, we've implemented AI in this particular uh, area. Uh, this is what it's going to do. Uh, this will, uh, you know, free up so much time. But you do have to then enable your employees to be trained, to read the output from the algorithm, to build the scenarios that go into the algorithm, because, uh, you know, it is garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't train uh, the the algorithm appropriately. If you don't uh, input the data appropriately, if the data that is input is biased because it is uh, you know specifically looking at a customer base, it is uh, you know not looking at all your markets. Then uh, the decisions that it comes out of that algorithm are also biased. Yeah. So therefore, using staff time to you know improve the algorithm come up with those scenarios, look at the risk factors, identify wherein you should intervene. That would be better use of uh, human capability. So, uh, you know, rather than losing the tacit knowledge within the employees, you can use them to train the algorithm. And the algorithm obviously is faster, makes decisions, uh, yep. frees up time, etc. So, I hope I answered you, the question. You did, you saying, did, and I and I like the way where you where you ended there. It, I mean, you can you, as the employees are going to get an input into how the how the, the intelligence evolves as, as well. And I, I, you know, I think it's, I think a lot of people would like to get mundane tasks taken off and then they can spend more time upskilling and getting, finding, you know, new things to do as well, is, which is interesting. So you touched on something there that, that maybe brings up, you, you brought up in London on the, on your keynote about ethical AI. And yeah. uh, I, I would venture to say not many people know much about what that means. Maybe you can yeah. share with us what it is and, and how do people pay attention? Yeah. So, 2019, I uh, uh, was invited to create a uh, new material for a master's uh, program um, here uh, at the university. And uh, the topic was digital ethics, uh, which is interesting because uh, there wasn't much written and we didn't have uh, any colleague who actually taught digital ethics uh, as a, a module uh, on uh, any course rather than a master's course. And that it piqued my interest saying, you know, I need to read more about it. And uh, so I created the material and then I uh, went to a conference in Venice uh, 2019. And since then have published uh, a literature review paper on uh, digital ethics. And uh, that then has gone on uh, in other sectors. I worked with uh, two very senior uh, coaches uh, on looking at what are the ethical considerations of digital coaching. And that book chapter uh, has been accepted and due to be released uh, early next year. What uh, is digital ethics is to look at the ethical considerations of uh, engaging uh, with uh, a machine which is making decisions. And uh, that engagement could be machine to machine. It could be human to machine. But uh, it is the fact that you need to look at uh, and and I kind of touched upon it previously when I said uh, you know the algorithm 
is as good as what data goes in. The algorithm is as good as the scenarios that you feed in. The algorithm, uh, you know, the results from the algorithm are based on uh, if the uh, entry point is biased, then the results are biased. So if I give an example, uh, so I mentioned passport and, and automatic uh, facial recognition. Uh, it is, uh, you know, across the globe, uh, quite well acknowledged that uh, the algorithms uh, tend to have more false uh, uh, negatives. So it does not recognize uh, faces of uh, people with color and uh, females are less likely to get a positive uh, when you submit an application with your photograph. Uh, now, that is because uh, historically the data being fed into the system was more uh, white male. So, you know, the population uh, data that has gone in is, is a particular spectrum of the data. And therefore, when uh, you process uh, the uh, data, uh, you know, it, it throws up a negative. So, uh, you know, I applied for uh, renewal of my passport and uh, it kept rejecting my and my uh, son's photograph. It accepted my husband's photograph um, and there was nothing wrong. And we were able to override uh, uh, the, you know, false negative on the system and explain why we thought it met the requirements. And it was then accepted and we got our passports with those photographs. So that is the ethical consideration, yeah. uh, the privacy issues. Have the, uh, you know, who owns the IP for the data? Yeah. And now let's take an example of wearables. You are generating a lot of information, uh, you know, be it your heartbeat, uh, be it, uh, you know, your pressure, uh, how many steps you've taken, et cetera, et cetera. You are leaving a digital trail. That data is then being used with, without consent, with, without informed consent by, uh, the manufacturer, by the app owners yeah. uh, in order to then sell that data to a third party who may contact you saying, you know what, uh, you tend to do these type of activities. Do you want to buy this? So th that is the other spectrum wherein, you know, the privacy of data, who owns the data? Have you taken consent? Where is the data being saved? So, you know, the, the uh, laws uh, governed in, in specific geographies are different. Uh, you know, is that information being sold? Um, legally illegally and and we've seen several uh you know large uh lawsuits and and penalties being given out uh to tech companies that have uh either used the data or the data has been breached so there is a lot of other considerations uh, when you embed digital uh be it ai etc so uh you know the lovely work that um Active Ops is doing is is to try and set up a board uh, around the ethical considerations of using AI within the organization, and that shows the seriousness uh, of you know how are we using data? Where is the data coming from? Do we have informed consent from the uh, the person who's generating the data? And uh, how are organizations using that information to make decisions? Um, uh, if it's all right, I can give another example. I, yeah, please um, I uh, uh, met with a very large uh, tech company uh, some years back and, uh, and, you know, using artificial intelligence, they were able to predict that the demographic details of um, a female employee who went on maternity uh, uh, would not come back to work or, um, uh, you know, an employee uh, with specific demographic, uh, uh, you know, characteristics would take longer to come back to work. Now, uh, 
using that data to support the employee is different to using that data to basically say, you know, this demographic details, this individual is not likely to come back and therefore why bother giving them uh you know important roles or promotions or uh you know all of that that use of uh, data uh, or and and intelligence is inappropriate so there is a lot of uh, focus in digital ethics is how is that data being used where is it being used um, also, you know, when we look at generic data analytics about uh, and a task should take so much time if, uh, you know, you are uh, new to the industry or uh, you should take uh, so much time if you have uh, a college degree, should take so much task uh, time if you have 10 years of uh, experience, etc. But what if there are specific circumstances that are different to the individual? So an individual might have uh, disabilities. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, and, and therefore, uh, does the data then allow you to then adjust that to say, you know, these circumstances are different and need to, you, you need to revise the, the set of parameters, uh, to enable that employee not to feel as if they are never meeting their, uh, objectives. Uh, they are underperforming. They're not underperforming. They have special characteristics, which the data has not been fed into. And therefore, you do not have a baseline for it. So I think those are some of the examples of uh, why digital ethics is important. Yeah, very good. And great examples. Thank you for that. So we're about out of time. Uh, so I wanted to ask you uh, if you, you, you mentioned several papers that you've written and, and things like that. If someone wanted to pick up the conversation with you directly, do they find you on LinkedIn? Go to the University of Reading website. How, what's the yeah, best way? LinkedIn and the um, uh, university email ID. So Michael, if you want, I can drop a note to you. You can add it to the, uh, the YouTube channel. And I'm happy for them to connect uh, on LinkedIn or uh, email. Okay, excellent. And is there anything that we didn't, We I know we covered it quickly, but any risk, rewards, opportunities? We go on for days. The risks uh, and, and the opportunities are both uh, very high. Uh, the risks uh, come from the fact that uh, it needs a top-down approach. It needs an engagement. It needs an investment. Uh, it is a longitudinal uh, view rather than uh, let's do it for this quarter and then forget about it. Uh, you need to have partners that you trust. Uh, uh, and, and in order to make a real impact, it has to impact the entire supply chain, the whole ecosystem. The rewards are equally you know, huge because, as we discussed, you can free up your employee time to do work that is valuable to your end customers, work that uh, you know they are able to then create new offerings they are able to focus on uh, you know new markets they are able to focus on on multitasking on on upskilling etc so you know the rewards are equally huge uh, but uh, you know you, you can't get it wrong there are yeah. considerations around ethics uh, around you know uh, the resilience of your approach the agility of your approach uh, you know whom are you partnering with uh, etc and the investment is uh, required is huge so uh, i would say both are important uh, but not doing it is not an option in any industry going forward yeah well thank you for all the insight and we really appreciate it. i i, I want to ask you once we get our smart planning uh, product out in the market and some of our customers, maybe you can come back and give us some insights on how. how Absolutely. Well it's and, uh, you know, we are sending out a um, 
proposal to be presenting at a event uh, co-hosted by the University of Oxford, uh, University of Reading and, and a couple of other universities here in the UK, wherein we are trying to uh, showcase the impact uh, through industry and academia engagement. So, um, yeah. More on it. Uh, if we get selected, then uh, Bhavesh and I will be presenting in March. So uh, hopefully oh, we get uh, accepted and then we will speak about that later on. That sounds great. That's a that's a good way. Good way to put a target out there to get back together. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Uh, great insight. Great information. Uh, I feel privileged because I got to see you in, in on stage as a keynote and, and get to spend a little time with you here. So wonderful uh, for your participation. For those watching and listening, uh, please do check out our other podcast on AOTV on the YouTube channel. You can also find information about ActiveOps at ActiveOps.com. And as always, we'll be sending out a new, new version of the podcast soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.